Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. Uh, My name is Jared. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's just good to see all of you. Uh, Today we are celebrating Easter and all over the world today. Uh, Churches are celebrating one thing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are all here, one place right now, churches everywhere, celebrating the moment in history where everything changed for humanity, that Jesus Christ is not dead, but that he is in fact alive and he arose from the grave in new life. We are here today because of that moment. You and I are here because of that moment. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because it also gives us new life. And all over the world today, people know that it is Easter. And for And all over the world, whether people follow uh, Jesus or whatever religion uh, individuals uh, are discovering or are participating in, people are asking a question today and so many times all throughout their lives. And the question is this, is what does it take to be made right with God? What does it take to be made right with God? This is, I'm convinced that this is the reason that keeps people awake at night, whether or not we recognize it or not. We're always seeking an answer to this question. If God exists, how can I know him and how can I be made right with him? How can I be made right with him? You know, our society has a lot of different answers to this question. And I believe that wars have been fought over it. I believe that, that history shows us that people are asking this question What does it take to be made right with God? Our society has a lot of answers. And we tend to think that all roads lead to heaven. Uh, A common phrase that we see in in our society, in Western society particularly, is this idea that all religions are the same, that if we're just good people, that it that that it just it's not really about one way, but it's 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 my way and it could be your way, and all religions are the same and all paths lead to the same place. This is kind of the way that our modern society uh, sees religion. And all religions are basically the same. And I actually oftentimes see what I would call a feel-good theology. It's you know, as long as I'm a good person. If I can be a good person, then I'll be okay, right? Um, oftentimes we think of, of uh, when our loved ones pass away, and particularly when our loved ones pass away, we're faced with this question, well, what's happening? You know, we, we can go about our lives, our daily lives, thinking about uh, regular things, bills and jobs and family and all of those, and we can kind of put our spirituality or eternity in the back of our minds. But when someone passes away, it's right in the forefront, isn't it? We think about them. But then this kind of feel-good theology that I see all the time, particularly as a pastor, but maybe even in your own life, you think about, oh, my aunt or my uncle, they were good people. They're in a better place, right? That's kind of what we tend to think of in our society. They're in a better place. Or, or mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, they're looking down on us. Like, these are the sort of phrases that we use in our, in our culture today about religion and thoughts about God, you know, it, it makes it easier for us to, without having to get into the details of it, to just kind of gloss over things. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with people about religion, here particularly living in Lawrenceville or in the city, and a lot of people with different religions, people who are uh, Buddhist or Muslim or maybe uh, in some kind of a New Age religion or Christianity or whatever it might be. I've had a lot of conversations about various religions. And what I have really kind of come to find is that we're all trying to make sense of our existence. We're all trying to find out who God is, 
and how we can make sense of our existence on earth. You know, I would say this about our culture, that the concept of God is actually not very controversial. As Christians, you might feel, possibly, that, that the topic of Jesus is controversial, but the topic of God in our world is not controversial. In fact, people I have found are very willing to talk about God. People all over the world want to talk about existence and what does it mean to be here on earth and, and the existence of God. If people, if, There are many people, far more people who believe in the existence of a God than those who don't. So the, the concept of God is not actually very controversial, nor is the concept of spirituality. In fact, Jesus isn't really even that controversial except for one thing. People love the teachings of Jesus. Most people don't even deny that Jesus existed. There are detractors of who Jesus is, of course, uh, people who don't believe that he was the Son of God, but there's enough historical evidence that Jesus did live and that he did die on a cross. There's enough evidence out there that most people, even scholars, know that there was a man who was called Jesus and who did live and did die on a cross. In fact, that's not even the problem when it comes to Jesus because many people even love his teachings. Even Gandhi loved the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus include things like love. They include things like blessing. They include things like serving people, helping the poor, forgiving others. These are all wonderful traits, right? So the idea of God not being controversial in our society, the, the idea that Jesus did in fact live, and the fact that his teachings are wonderful, none of those things are the controversy about religion that we often feel, particularly in our Western culture. What is it about Jesus that causes us and as other people in conversations to cause us to kind of get stuck in our conversations or cause us difficulty and frustrations. It's his exclusivity claims. You see, Jesus said some things that people love, but one particular thing is that he claimed that he was exclusive, that there was, if we're asking the question, what does it mean? How can I get right with God? How can I be made right with the creator of the universe? Jesus's answer was that there was only one way to do it, and that's what causes the problem is that Jesus said this. Let's take a look. In, my, in uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, one of his disciples asked a question. They were asking, Jesus, where are we headed? He didn't know where they were going. And this is how Jesus answers, as he often does. He flips it away from the immediate question and says this. In John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We see right here the exclusive claim of Jesus. That you can believe all sorts of other things, but there's only one way to the Father. That's what Jesus taught. That's what Jesus taught. And so today what we're going to do, whatever your background is, whatever religion you follow, I'm going to ask you to consider Jesus. Maybe even for the first time. Maybe, maybe Jesus has lived in your head in an idea. Maybe you've considered other religions. I believe that today, maybe even for the first time, for many of us, maybe even those of us who've been Christians for a long time, we've said yes to Jesus, that this, what we're going to find out today, we're going to consider the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and we're going to see, and I believe that something powerful is going to happen in our hearts today. But wherever you come from, whatever your background is, no matter the way you see the world, I just want you to consider Jesus. Very little it's controversial about 
Jesus except for his exclusive claims. Now, here's one of the things about our society. As I mentioned already, that we tend to think that all roads lead to heaven or that all religions are the same. That's kind of a concept that we hear all the time. And I want to say this, that there is definitely some truth and there is definitely some beauty in the world's religions. But I would say this, that they are not the same. I want to give you a real quick high-level quick high-level overview of the world's religions. Buddhism, for example. There are no gods in Buddhism. There is not even a type of final existence in Buddhism. You actually go through a cycle of countless rebirths, and the hope in Buddhism is that you can eventually just end that cycle. Compare that with Hinduism. Hinduism worships multiple impersonal gods, and you have to approach those deities through statues, idols, those types of things. If you compare Buddhism and Hinduism to each other, there is no forgiveness of sins offered. There is no supernatural help offered. It's all about karma. So the, a very high-level, general, kind of vulgar way to say it is, if you get into a car accident, well, you deserved it because you must have done something. Karma came back around to hit you. That's the idea of, of, of religions that, that base themselves around karma. Now, if you think about Islam, they worship Allah, which is a personal god, but there are no secondary gods. There's a total ban on idols in Islam, so we said that idols are in Hinduism, for example. And you're standing, so that question of what is it that I have to do to be made right with God, in Islam, your standing depends on religious devotion and works. Compare that to New Age religions, where there is no personal God. It's all about a higher consciousness, and the idea is to become one with the cosmos or the universe. Compare that with Christianity, which involves a personal God that sent Jesus to earth to show love and grace, giving himself up for humanity to show love to us and offer forgiveness. So I think if all of the things that we can say, there is definitely some truth and there is definitely some beauty in all the world's religions, but can we agree today that they are not all the same? They're not the same. There are major differences between them. The problem isn't that people can't see that there are differences. It's that no one likes the idea that Jesus claimed to be the answer. And that's what I would say to us today. Would you consider Jesus' claims? Consider what he said and make up your own mind for this. And I would say this to you. I'm not even asking you to consider our church. I'm not asking you to consider even the religion of Christianity because Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. I wouldn't even say to you, don't even consider other Christians that you know because oftentimes Christians can be shallow. Christians can be judgmental. They can be hypocritical. And I would also say to you, don't look at my life either, because I will let you down. As much as I desire to be like Jesus, as much as my desire is to show him in every circumstance, I will fail you. Do not consider this church. Do not consider Christians. Do not even consider religion. And do not consider your pastor. Only consider Jesus today. And so I want to look at three aspects of Jesus' life, three aspects of Jesus that I believe make an incredible claim about who he is. And if we can get these things, I believe that there is a miracle waiting for us in our lives. There is something that, is, that we cannot find anywhere else. The first is this. Well, let's consider the ministry of Jesus. Who did he come for and how he treated these people? We see it right away in Mark chapter 2. The Gospel of Mark is a, is a book that was written by one of his disciples, and he just went around following Jesus, and then later on in his life he wrote down the stories that he remembered of Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we see right away who Jesus came for and how he treated them. Let's read it together. Mark chapter 2, verse 16 says, When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with who? 
the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with the sinners and the tax collectors? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've called to come for the sinners. You see, Jesus came for those that people despised. And this is hope for me because I'm not a good person. I might not be a criminal, but that's who Jesus hung out with. People were shocked that a man who would come as a representative of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, of God, the creator of the universe, that the first thing he does is he goes and hangs out with the undesirables of our society. In our time, I mean, we don't think of the IRS as the worst people in the world. Most of us get tax refunds, so we're happy with that. But in this day and age, they were more like loan sharks, the tax collectors were, than they are what we think of tax collectors today. They would take people's money and they would skim off the top for themselves. They were despised. And yet Jesus was hanging out with those people. Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he was always hanging out with people who ate and drank. He was going to people's parties. He was spending his time with the sick. He was spending his time with people who no one else wanted to touch. I imagine Jesus was in the ghettos. I imagine that Jesus was maybe not at strip clubs, but he was hanging out with prostitutes. He was hanging out with people whose lives were as far away from God as you could possibly imagine. And people judged him for it. But we see right away the ministry of Jesus was that he came to heal people, to give people hope, to give them life. And that's hope for me because I don't have my act together. I don't know if you have your act together, but I think most of us in the room would be like, I got a lot of problems, a lot of things that I don't understand, a lot of pain inside of me, a lot of guilt and a lot of struggle and insecurity and the things that all of us, I think, struggle with on some level. Jesus came for those things. Consider the ministry of Jesus. In addition to that, we see all throughout the Gospels that Jesus went to heal people. In fact, one of my favorite stories of Jesus is that people try to trap him all the time to to prove that he was wrong. And in John chapter 8, it says that that the, the leaders of the Israel, of the Jewish religion, caught a woman in adultery. And at the time, this is so interesting to me because in our modern concept, we're like, where's the guy? They dragged the woman into the street. The woman, like she, they literally found, how awkward is that, right? Knock down the door, and there's like a guy and a, and a girl getting freaky, you know? And, and, and they're like, oh, adultery. And they pull this woman out, and they drag her out into the street. And then and they say, what do you think, Jesus? What should we do to her? Because our law says that we should stone her to death. She, she is in adultery. She should be killed. And Jesus, coming for the sinners, Jesus, his ministry coming for those who were, who were the, the despised, says, those of you who have no sin in your life cast the first stone. That's the ministry of Jesus. He said to this woman, get up and go and sin no more. He offers forgiveness for those who screw up monumentally. I love it. Jesus' ministry includes opening blind eyes, healing deaf ears, causing the mute to be able to speak. He touched lepers, people who no one would go to. There were leper colonies, entire camps of people outside of the city where no one would go to because there was no medicine. So if you went, even if you wanted to be kind, you couldn't because you would, you would catch the disease. Jesus spent time with those people. Jesus walked on water. He raised the dead. Jesus multiplied bread and fish and fed thousands of people. Jesus turned water into wine. He walked on water. Consider the ministry of Jesus. And I would say to you that even his critics, those people who hated him, who ended up killing him, they didn't even question the validity of his miracles. They just wanted him to stop. This is so interesting to me. They hated what he was doing, but they didn't think that this is magic. 
They didn't think it wasn't real. They saw the evidence of Jesus' ministry. They just wanted him to stop because they didn't understand what he was trying to do. And the ministry of Jesus considered continues today. Our church, this church right here, is full of people whose lives have been changed by the ongoing ministry of Jesus. If you look next to you, chances are that Jesus has changed someone's life. We have seen marriages healed and restored in this church after things like lies, after affairs, after cheating, after all sorts of, of unhealthy patterns and communication patterns. People's marriages are healed today because Jesus Christ fixes marriages. We have seen atheists come to our church, people who are searching for relationships, people who are searching for for a connection to God. Are you there, God? Are you even here? And I have seen them come to know that God is alive and he is real through relationships with other people and understanding that God can meet them. I love that song that we sing that says, like, there's, there's nowhere we could go, no distance we could cross. We sang that we said that at the very beginning of our message, uh, of our worship today, the passage of Scripture, there's no distance too wide that would separate us from the love of God. Even someone who would say, I don't even think you exist, God. God will come beyond that. We have people who used to be atheists in this church church because of it. We have seen physical healings in our church. People have been healed of back pain. I know of one individual whose uh, IBS was healed. I know of another individual who had a brain injury who was healed. I remember this story in our life group a few years ago. A lady came to our life group and she sat down and she said, would you please pray for my friend, my father's friend? He collapsed He just collapsed randomly. They didn't know what happened, and they took him to the doctor, and he had no brain activity at all. They thought he was going to be in a coma for the rest of his life. You know what our life group did? We prayed. We stopped in the middle of our life group, and we prayed for that man. And then the next week, she comes back, and she says, oh, my gosh, I have this incredible praise report. We prayed for him, and Jesus healed him. The man woke up, and they sent him home the next day after having no brain activity. How does that happen? Because of the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry of Jesus. And I want to tell you that I'm a miracle. I am a miracle because of what Jesus has done in my life. I hated God. I grew up in the church. My mom and dad are preaching a message about Jesus today. They've been pastors all my life. And all I did, I felt like I grew up in the church. My mom and dad were wonderful examples of what it meant to follow Jesus. But I felt like everywhere I turned, all I saw were hypocrites in the church. All I saw were people who proclaimed the name of Jesus in their mouth, but their lives were backbiting and hypocritical and judgmental. And they were evil, vile people. That's the way it seemed like to me. And so I made a lot of dumb decisions. A lot of stupid decisions as a teenager. Got myself into a lot of trouble. And of course, didn't want to take responsibility. Who did I blame for it? I blamed God for everything. And then, because my life got worse, I hated God even more for it. So angry. Why would you do this to me? Why wouldn't you let me? Why wouldn't you help me out of this? But my parents never gave up. My parents kept praying, even though I was so angry with them. I remember telling my mother, I can't serve your God. And that hurt my, cut my mother to the core because all she wanted was for her children to grow up and to follow Jesus. But she wouldn't give up. She kept praying for me, knowing that the ministry of Jesus is powerful, that there is no distance that he wouldn't cross. And so through a series of, of, of individuals that I believe that the Lord had sent to me, random, crazy circumstances of people coming and showing me the love of God, his relentless pursuit of me as someone and his love for me, eventually one day I fell to my knees and I said, I believe who you, you are who you say you are, and I don't know how I'm going to fix my life, but I just I can't, can't ignore you anymore. And I am here today, not a different person, not a, not a better version of myself. The Bible says that when you say yes, 
yes to Jesus, you become a new creation. You are something different. I am different today because of the ministry of Jesus. Would you consider the ministry of Jesus? The second thing to consider is the resurrection of Jesus. We ask this question, why does the resurrection matter? Why does it matter? You know, the story of, this, of Jesus culminates in the resurrection, but it starts with a love for humanity. God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus, to come into the world. Not for the, not for the healthy, but for the sick, those who were broken, those who were hurting, right? We've already heard all that. Jesus hates sin. He hates what separates us from him. He loves us. He showed his entire life to be like, this is what life should look like, and then we killed him for it. And then he goes to the cross And he gives up his life. And what do the words of Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them. I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that while I'm being tortured on on like an electric chair or if I'm in a gas chamber that my thoughts are going to be, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But Jesus did. Father, forgive them. And then he says, it is finished. At the very end there, he gave up his spirit. And the Bible says that the whole world was covered in darkness and the earth trembled in that moment. And you know what happened? The centurion who was there, who had crucified Jesus after seeing what Jesus just said and seeing the response of nature to the Son of God being crucified, looks up and says, surely this man was the Son of God. Something happened to that man in that moment. He saw something powerful. And three days later, three days later, the stone was rolled away. Acts chapter 3, verse 15. This is Peter. This is Peter the Apostle, who just a few moments beforehand, the day before, had just told like, the, the people around him that he didn't even know Jesus. Denied him three times. He was terrified. Terrified that he was going to suffer the same fate as Jesus. And then just like the centurion, sees something, is reminded of the power of Jesus Christ, and then gets up and preaches a message. And what do we see here in Acts 3.15? It says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. Why is the resurrection important? Because they witnessed it and saw that Jesus is who he says that he is. They've seen him. Everything in our faith, it all hinges upon the resurrection. You need to understand that. Our faith is nothing. That video that we just showed, without Easter, without the resurrection, he was just a nice dude who had nice things to say. That's what we say about Gandhi, right? People look back at Gandhi and we say Gandhi was a great example. We look back at someone like a Mother Teresa and we say that person was wonderful. They did great things, right? We can look back all throughout history and see individuals who did good things, who set good examples, but they are dead. And they do nothing good anymore. So their their impact is limited. But Jesus said who he was, predicted his death and his resurrection, and then did it. Why would his disciples, why would his disciples go to death themselves for something that they thought was a lie? Think about that for a second. Why is the resurrection important? If it is truly the thing that hinges, our entire faith hinges on the resurrection, why would these, these 11 dudes who were just from the farmland, They weren't educated individuals. They didn't have much going on in their lives. They were terrified. They ran for their lives after Jesus was crucified. Why would these guys now all of a sudden tell a story 
about how the one that they had followed is now alive and to go and to teach it for years and years and years all the way to where 10 out of those 11 were actually martyred. They would be willing to die awful deaths for a lie? Who would do that? I wouldn't. 11 small town, uneducated average men devised the most elaborative and deceptive plan of all time, pulled it off, and kept it a secret. That's, what, that's the idea here, is the consideration. Think about this for a second. There was no personal motive for them. There was extreme personal loss. They lost their families, lost their friends, lost their own lives. And at the same time, they cheated the world into being a better place. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And only one of them who doubted, Thomas, the one that we see in the upper room where Jesus came, did his teleporting trick through the wall, and he said, I don't believe that Jesus has risen from the grave. And he says, until I see the, the nails in his hands and the scar on his side, I won't believe that Jesus is alive. And the Bible says that Jesus let him touch. And for some of you, you need a little bit more. Some of you in the room, and I, I, don't, I always took that as a guilty thing because I felt like I've, I was Thomas a lot of my life. I felt like I was a doubting Thomas. That's what we always called him. Like the dude, like that was the rest of his life. And I want to tell you Thomas's story in a second. We always think of Thomas as doubting Thomas. Like, you know, oh, you're like, you know, disciple multi, like divided by two. Like you're not really a great disciple because you had to like touch Jesus. You couldn't just take his word for it or people's word for it, right? I want you to know that Thomas needed something extra. Thomas needed God to meet him a little bit more than the others did. And Jesus doesn't yell at him for it. Jesus doesn't look at Thomas and go, you're out, man. Sorry. You know, like that's not Jesus. What does Jesus do? He says, I know you need this. And he shows up in the way that he needs it. Now, what happened to Thomas? Doubting Thomas, the one that we like to chide for it. You know what Thomas did? He became the first evangelist to India. Thomas, the man who doubted, the one who has nothing to gain but everything to lose, goes to a country where they caught him and they told him, denounce the name of Jesus and you'll live. But otherwise, you're going to die. Do you know what happened to Thomas? He said, I will not denounce the one, the thing that I know to be true. You know what happened to him? He got speared, impaled with a spear for it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is important. It matters. Consider the resurrection. If it didn't happen, why would anyone why would anyone go to the lengths that they did? Consider the resurrection of Jesus. They said, we are witnesses of this. The resurrection changes everything. We celebrate today because I'm a new person. I want you to understand this. The ministry of Jesus connects to the resurrection of him. I am a witness of the resurrection in my own way because I see, I have witnessed the change in my life. And the same thing could be true for you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the thing. It's not just one on a cross he is no longer on that cross anymore. We are alive because of it. I have a, I'm a witness of it in my own life. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. We want to consider the ministry of Jesus, consider the resurrection of Jesus, and finally consider the eternal message of Jesus. If you're taking notes, consider the eternal message of Jesus. How are we made right with God? This is what we want to know. On Easter Sunday particularly, how can we be made right with God. I love it that the Bible is so clear and tells us Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Let's ask the question, how are we made right with God? Well, thanks, Paul, for letting us know. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true 
For who? Everyone that believes, no matter who you are. It could be a criminal. It could be a murderer. It could be an adulterer. It could be a short-fused individual. You could be in debt. You could be bankrupt. You could be incredibly smart. You could have the best job in the world. You could drive awesome cars, have a nice house. You could be a single mom. You could be a deadbeat dad. It doesn't matter. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. This is true for everyone. It's true for you today. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. This is what I love about the message of Jesus. We see it. No one else in history ever lived this way. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how many people you have hurt. It doesn't matter how many times you've sinned. It doesn't matter how many things you've done, how guilty you feel like you are. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. The message of Jesus is that all it takes is for you to be made right with God, is for you to have faith in Jesus Christ. And that is true for everyone. And I want to tell you this, that you're not made right by God, with God, by being good enough. The Bible does not say that it's about the things that you do. <laughs> it's not about the clothes that you wear. It's not about how, many, how much money you give. It's not about how many times you get up on a Saturday morning and you serve at the homeless shelter. It's not about any of those things. It's about the love of Jesus. You were made right with Jesus because he was perfect. And he took the penalty that we deserved and paid the price for it for us on the cross. You know, there's a difference between religion and relationship. Jesus didn't come to offer us religion. He came to offer us eternal life. Religion is about me, right? Religion is about you and me. It's about what I do, what I think. But relationship is about Jesus. Religion is about how you perform. It's about if I did I do this right? Did I stand the right way? Have I prayed enough? Have I read my Bible enough times this week? You know, did I go to confession? All of these things. Relationship is about how Jesus performed. It's about what Jesus did. Religion is, if I obey God, if I work hard enough, God will love me. But relationship is, because God loves me, I will obey him. Because he's done this for me, because he loves me, even though I'm a screw-up, I will follow him. I will choose to walk with him. Religion is about what you do, but relationship is about what Jesus already did. Consider the eternal message of Jesus, that you are not made right by your own work, but by the grace and the love of Jesus. All right. Now here's where I stand on all of this. If there's a guy who claims that he is the Son of God, says he's the only way to the Father, predicts that he's going to die, and then raise himself up three days later, and then does die, and then does rise from the grave three days later, I'm going with that guy. I'm going with the one who lived his life in a way like no other, who served like no other, who was predicted the fact that he was going to die and then said that he would raise himself from the grave and then did it. What other choice do I have? I'm going with that guy because he came for someone like me. And it gives me hope. I have studied other religions. I have studied them. I've, I've talked to people about them. And I'm not here to bash anything else. All I can tell you is, is that I have considered Jesus. I have considered him. I have considered who he came for. 
I've considered his life. I've considered the resurrection and the message that it offers for me. And I have found peace. I have found life. I have found something that I cannot find anywhere else in any other world religion, in any other relationship with another human being. I have found something that is available only through Jesus. So it does not offend me when I hear Jesus say that he is the only way because I have experienced that to be true in my life. And so because of what he did for me, my only reasonable response is, Jesus, take my whole life. Take it and make me who you want me to be so that I can live the life that you've called me to. And I want that for you today. I want you to experience the fullness of who Jesus is. I want you to consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider what scripture has taught that Jesus did. If you don't know him and you haven't experienced him, consider those who brought you today. How were they different because of the ministry of Jesus? Consider the resurrection of Jesus, the power that it has given, the boldness that it has given for thousands of years for individuals just like you and me to know that there is hope that when we die, it is not the end, that we will all be resurrected, that we will all have that power within us to be able to live life and to overcome our sin, overcome our addictions, overcome our guilt and our shame and become new people all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to consider the eternal message, the one that stands the test of time. It's not a fad, one that changes lives everywhere you go. That there is nothing that you or I could do to ever earn it, but there is also nothing that you or I could ever do to cause him to stop loving us. There is no other God that offers that same thing. There is no other religion that offers that kind of a guarantee. And When you reach out and you try to to experience it, when you want to encounter it in a real way, not in your head, but in a heart, in a place that you know to be true, something changes. Something happens inside of you, and I want that for every one of you. I want that. Would you close your eyes with me? I'm going to pray to close here. I want to respond. I want each of us to respond in some way today, to make a choice, to make a decision. For some of you, you're followers of Jesus, and you have been a long time, and you have loved ones who are not. I want to pray for them today. I want to pray for them that they would be able to consider Jesus. Maybe through this message, if you share it with them off or on our podcast or our website, share it with them later. Or somehow other way, some different way. We want them. Right now, link your heart to the heart of God. The Bible says that God's desire is that all men would be saved. He wants them to know his love. And so we pray for that. Father, would you draw them to you for our loved ones who don't know you, those who, have, who are far from you, those who are broken, those who are hurting, the ones that are closest to us. We love them and it hurts us to see our, our moms and our dads and our children and our cousins and aunts, our coworkers and our friends who don't know the love and the life and the hope that we have received. We pray for them, draw them to you, open their eyes to see you, Jesus. For some of you, Jesus has been in your head, but he's never been in your heart. But something is happening to you right now. Something is happening while I've been preaching this message. That's not me. That's the Spirit of God. The Bible says that as his word is preached, that his spirit draws people. Something's happening to you where you're saying, I'm feeling something today that I've never felt before. That I've thought about Jesus in in a knowledgeable way, in an analytical way, in a thoughtful way. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it has to move beyond your brain and into your soul, into your heart. A place where you can live and thrive. For those of you who are in the room like that today, 
his loving kindness. The Holy Spirit is reaching out to you to say yes to his love. That's all he's asking is I want you to know it, to receive it. Some of you are in the room and you say, I hear you, Pastor Jared. You share the story of what God has done in your life, and I don't have a story like that. I don't know how to get there. He's beginning to call you. You don't have to understand everything right now. All you need to say is, I believe what's happening in my heart is real. I want it. Say yes to his love. Some of you, the weight of your sin is upon you. You can feel your guilt of your life weighing on you, your decisions. The things that you have done, they're weighing on you like chains that are holding you down. You're like the individual. You feel like there's a, a weight around your neck and you're being pulled to the bottom of the ocean floor. That's how you feel today. I'm here to tell you that you can be made right with God, not because you were good enough, but because of the perfect work of Jesus. Consider who he is. Consider what he did. Consider what he's offering to you today. He gave his life for you all across the room today. Your heart is telling you, yes, I want what you offer. I want to know you. Take my whole life. That's the response. That is, that is the right response. The Bible says all it takes for man to be saved is to call on his name, to say yes to Jesus and believe in your heart that he was risen from the grave. I need his grace today. I need his forgiveness today. That's what you need to say. And then you say, today I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I give my life to you. I don't know all of what that means. I don't know what the rest of my life is going to look like, but I'm starting here now. I'm starting here now. If that's you, just begin to say that to him. Right now, I want to know you, Jesus. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I don't want you to just be in my head. I need you in my heart. I want to live like you exist today. I want to live like you're not still in a grave somewhere, that your body was hidden somewhere. I believe that you are alive and that you can impact me. I believe it. I give my life to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. I give my life to you. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you and I can serve you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for a new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.